0: Welcome back to the State House Takeout. And this Friday, we lead into this podcast with some lovely choral medley from uh, Rep Jim Hawkins' constituents down at Attleboro High School. They were gracing our grand staircase at the State House today with uh, some angelic voices. Uh, we're joined down here in the podcast layer by Chris Lesinski, Colin A. Young, Matt Murphy, and Katie Lannan of the State House News Service. Hi, folks.
2: Hey Sam! Welcome
3: back from Canada, Sam.
0: Why, thank you, Matt. It was a good time. Uh, didn't didn't have any poutine, but had some uh, some venison. So you know, some some form of Quebecois cuisine. Um, now, uh, the legislature this week, folks, whipped through a uh, supplemental budget through both chambers. Made quick work of that sup compared to the uh, the agony of the closeout budget for last fiscal year. And this latest mini spending bill, 123 million, has some timely funding for coronavirus testing in state facilities, among, uh, among other things. We'll talk later on in the podcast about coronavirus risks and effects here in the Bay State, because that's the big talker as we close out the week on Beacon Hill uh, in the hallways of the building, passing by, saying hi to folks. That's really what people want to talk about is, is coronavirus.
3: Fill those hand sanitizers.
0: Please, and thank you. Uh, but it's human nature, right? On, on Wednesday, house power players released their long, long, long-awaited uh, transportation funding bill, including a five-cent hike to the gas tax. But fear, whether it be fear of public health emergency, fear of crashing stock markets, uh, generally wins the airspace. And so that's uh, kind of been the general conversation topic at large. But we're policy wonks at heart, right? So we start today's conversation with... The Transpo Bill, and uh, Chris and Matt, you were down there at the at the rollout by a whole slew of House leadership, from the Speaker to the Majority Leader to various chairmen. Yeah, you were down there, right? Yeah. And I don't know, Chris. Everyone's uh, heard about this extra nickel on the gas tax. That's kind of the headline, right? Um, but this is a multi-pronged plan. Walk us through, if you could, uh, what else this would do vis-a-vis corporate tax, Uber, Lyft, et cetera.
4: Yeah, about four major components to this bill besides the $0.05 increase in the state's $0.24 per gallon gas tax. It would be a $0.09 increase in the diesel tax. Uh, Right now, the diesel tax is the same as it is on gasoline. This would bump diesel $0.04 above gasoline. It also calls for uh, some fee increases on ride-hailing services like Uber and Lyft, uh, about $0.20 above what the governor proposed for single rides and uh, another $1.20 above the governor's proposal for uh, single luxury rides if you take one of the XL vehicles, whatever they're called. Mm. Uh, As for corporate taxes, the proposal is to uh, change from a single corporate minimum excise tax, say that three times fast, (laughs) of $456 (laughs) to a a tiered structure where the more uh, a company makes in sales, the more it would pay in this minimum excise tax. And the, the fourth big section of this would be uh, sort of closing a loophole where rental car companies that buy new vehicles for their fleets don't actually have to pay sales tax on those vehicle purchases. All told, we're looking at somewhere between $522 million and $612 million per year from these uh, these four sources, according to the, the House leaders backing it.
0: Gotcha. Uh, and it was that rental car loophole that... Um, Majority Leader Mariano had that nice quote about, right, what did he call it, a, a glaring kiss to the industry, something like that? S- something like that. I, I can't remember the exact quote. I know what you're talking about.
3: Yeah, exactly like that. He called it a glaring kiss to the industry. Um He said, and while we still are working to figure out the origins of this uh, sales tax exemption, uh, he was asked whether or not lifting it would encourage rental car companies from buying their vehicles out of state as they add to their fleets. And his response was basically, uh, we're not getting tax revenue from this now. So if they want to go buy them from out of state, it won't hurt Massachusetts. Now, it won't hurt Mm. the state revenue won't hurt the state's pocketbooks for sure I think a bigger question and, and one that uh, we'll probably be hearing more about in the days and weeks to come is whether or not dealerships could feel the pain from uh, rental car companies not purchasing vehicles right. locally
0: and whether lawmakers might start to hear from these dealerships exactly uh, yeah ahead of next uh, next Wednesday right that's uh, next Wednesday's formal session we're expecting this to pop up
4: expecting this on Wednesday, and yep. then on Thursday we should also mention we're expecting the House's version of a transportation bond bill mm-hmm. uh, to pop up to go hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, House Democrats said that they need the revenue bill to pay for a lot of what's in the bond bill, and they actually proposed a $14.5 billion version, shaving off $3.5 billion from what the governor said we could pay for all through borrowing. Mm.
0: Two really big bills, and uh, if they can't get through them on Wednesday and Thursday?
3: Then we'll be back here on Friday.
0: So we will. <laughs> and uh, Matt, where is the money going to go that's raised in this bill? I know you had a lengthy uh, kind of back and forth with uh, with the uh, leaders in the members lounge on Wednesday. Uh, where's the money going?
3: I, I did. And I was just trying to understand uh, when they're asking uh, members and they're asking the public to support a $600 billion uh, new tax package, how that money was going to be spent and what people could see for it. And I think it still remains to be seen how that money is going to be fully spent. They did create a few new funds. There's 27 million each that would be directed in new dedicated funds for the MBTA. And the regional transit authorities, but that's just a drop in the bucket compared to the overall tax package. Leaders are also saying that this should enable them to finally make good on a statutory legal commitment that they're supposed to transfer $160 million a year from the annual state budget to the MBTA for their operating costs. Has that ever happened? Uh, you know, it's it's gone up and it's gone down in past years. More, most recently, they've spent about 127 million in operational budget subsidies for the MBTA. Uh, it had been up to as much as 187 million at one point, but then they started uh, splitting it up and giving some money on the capital side, but. Uh, uh, The bulk of this new revenue, though, it it appears unaccounted for, and uh, leaders are basically saying that this revenue is needed to, as Chris said, both to uh, backstop uh, the borrowing that the governor and the legislature wants to do long term, and also uh, stay tuned to their budget, that they could have uh, more spending in the House budget when that comes out in April, but they were not prepared to say right now Uh, how much uh, or where that money would be spent. Oh,
0: I gotcha. All right. So when this bill makes it over to the Senate, we might see a sign uh, hoisted up by Bruce Tarr asking, what does this do? Yeah, we might. (laughs) I I think
3: we also, we might know a lot more at the end of Mm, next week mm -hmm. as well. Uh, We'll see what happens to the revenue bill on the floor. We'll also see As Chris said, if that revenue bill passes and then the bond bill goes on the floor at $14.5 billion, it could become a a sort of Christmas tree, as they say, Mm -hmm. as uh, legislators now have the green light to start packing it with additional spending because leadership believes that the revenue is there to support it.
4: And as we record right now, we're still a few hours away from the amendment deadline for that. And we've already got more than 100 amendments filed, each looking for earmarks for uh, local transportation projects.
0: Oh, sure. At the district level there. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And there's there's definitely, you know, there's going to be a lot of interest groups involved, a lot of lobbying around different, you know, we'll see what the amendments are, but certainly different proposals that are offered up. Um, I know I woke up this morning to an email from Lyft. Uh, telling me as a as a Massachusetts rider I should contact my legislators over uh, what they the company are referring to as a 500% fee hike hmm. now that's you know that's <laughs> that's math with a with an intent behind it it certainly is a lot more than saying it may be a dollar fee hike maybe 2 dollars maybe nothing at all but 500% is that's a alarm. is a call to action right
0: it, Yes it is and when you mobilize the users of Lyft. In, in we'll one see. shared
2: vehicle, perhaps.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That'll be a big shared vehicle. <laughs>
2: it's subway car sized?
0: Oh, perhaps. Um, now, uh, if you're a fan of TCI, the Transportation Climate Initiative, maybe Charlie Baker or some other fan of TCI, uh, what did you think after listening to that rollout of the House Transpo bill? Uh, it sounded like they were kind of writing off TCI.
3: Well, there's no bigger fan of TCI than Charlie Baker, and we can basically tell you that Charlie Baker hates this bill. He doesn't support (laughs) raising gas taxes. He doesn't support raising corporate taxes. That uh, alone would wipe out half of the House's revenue proposal. Uh, The House is not willing to bank on TCI right now. Uh, The Speaker is calling it iffy. Uh, Bill Strauss, the chair of the transportation committee on the House side is saying that, you know, it would be irresponsible to count on revenue. Uh, that is not to say the administration never did count on revenue from TCI to support its borrowing plan. But that is something that was floated as uh, perhaps something that could be uh, included in a final House revenue package. It's not in this because they're concerned about the messaging coming from other st- other states where governors, legislative leaders have expressed real concern about the impact on gas prices that a TCI, uh, this regional cap and trade program on emissions that Governor Baker is trying to negotiate would have. And uh, the House did bake into this revenue package some language that uh, assuming if TCI were to go into effect, it could lead to increased gas prices of anywhere from 5 to 17 cents. The House bill would direct the administration to find a way to offset that increase so that uh, consumers, drivers in particular, aren't paying both the TCI increased gas prices and the new gas tax that they're proposing.
0: Hmm. Now, on Tuesday, the day ahead of this rollout, uh, and folks kind of saw this rollout coming, right? Um, so on Tuesday, Transportation for Massachusetts and a whole slew of other uh, advocacy groups hosted a call to action day up here at the state house, and uh, Representative Sarah Peak of Provincetown said at that event that a transportation bill like this had the potential to be a huge game changer. Uh, And she set sort of lofty expectations, as did a lot of these other advocates, as they roamed the building all day uh, talking to uh, different lawmakers. Uh, So a day later, how did the bill stack up against advocates' uh, expectations? I think that
4: from that community, you know, from the activist community wanting more money to accomplish very specific transportation goals, um, this was met with kind of a muted response because to them it felt incomplete. It's really, um, you know, 85% 85% a revenue bill and 15% a spending bill, since so much of the money that will be raised in this is yet to be designated uh, under the House's plan. So we don't know what this would do for MBTA fares. We don't know what this would do to help increase capacity on the MBTA. Um, you know, The bond bill has more funding for local road maintenance, but really a lot of what that money would go toward is not defined yet. So we got a lot of responses from advocates saying this is a step in The right direction, but this doesn't go far enough. This isn't bold enough. We need more information on what we're actually going to do with this.
0: Sure.
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure anyone calls would call this a a game changer. And even uh, peak herself, uh, she ended up saying that the the bill itself, she thought it was genius, and she, like a lot of the progressive Democrats in the House, really appreciated the fact. That the business community, through the increased corporate minimum excise taxes, were asked to chip in along with other users of the transportation system. So they thought that was a balanced approach. But we heard repeatedly even Speaker DeLeo call this package a bridge. Uh, a bridge to the the millionaires tax in 2022 that voters could have a chance to vote on uh, on the ballot. He the speaker said the house is still committed to advancing that to the ballot. A bridge to maybe uh 500 million plus in TCI revenues. So this uh, they're calling this a start and a bridge to even more revenues to come. Uh, so you know it's it's not this sort of one and done. Uh, that maybe in 2013 they led people to believe that they were solving the transportation issue only to have that backfire on
0: them. Right, and progressives also appreciated that uh, bridge language from the speakers, sort of that continuing commitment to moving forward uh, with support of the so-called millionaire surtax. Um, So uh, quickly, because we've got to move on from this topic, uh, what was the reaction from Senate President Karen Spilka? Uh, I know she was on the radio uh, right after this bill came out. Um, And as we look ahead beyond next week to when it gets over to the upper chamber, uh, what's what's the feeling in the Senate?
3: I mean, it seems that the Senate does want to do something. And we had heard in the run up to this, uh, the Senate president talk about how she thought new revenues should be used to lower fares for public transit riders this bill doesn't at least directly uh, do that. Uh, the speaker said that he thought uh, fair reductions, including at RTAs, not just the MBTA, but the regional uh, bus networks, that that would be part of a study that he wants to see done by a task force that will also look at congestion pricing and road tolling. Uh, the Senate president is also very interested in toll equity. Uh, tolls are not addressed in this bill, also part of a study that the speaker's proposing. So uh, the Senate president didn't really say a whole lot in her statement on this bill, but she did say that now that at least there is a plan out there, she looks forward to beginning I think her words were in earnest, an exchange of ideas with house leaders. So Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see what that portends.
0: It begins in earnest, yes. Um, All right, well let's clear the table and uh, bring out the second course here. Uh, for our takeout meal. Uh, That all happened on Wednesday, and this next uh, course happened on Wednesday too. Uh, A lot of big news this week fell on the same day, sort of a similar experience to last week. We saw a tweet Wednesday morning from the U.S. Attorney that Columbia Gas was pleading guilty in relation to those uh, 2018 gas explosions. Um, Colin, before we get to the news that came later Wednesday about the future of that gas system, um, what did Columbia agree to in this plea agreement? What, what, what did they uh, take responsibility for?
1: Uh, well, like you said, they agreed to plead guilty <clears throat> to uh, one uh, federal felony charge, uh, essentially a violation of the Federal Pipeline Safety Act uh, for not having a, a plan in place for the starting up and shutting down of a pipeline uh, within the allowable pressure.
0: Gotcha. Um, So as far as, and it's $53 million, right?
1: A $53 million fine is assessed, yep.
0: Yeah. So for all the folks that dealt with uh, loss, whether it be uh, property or or life, long-term interruptions in their lives back in 2018, uh, do people in the Merrimack Valley feel that this is a satisfactory outcome?
1: Well, this outcome isn't really the outcome for the people who uh, you know, this, this wasn't necessarily meant to make whole the people who were directly affected. Uh, that process is going through the Columbia gases claims process, which started up right after the incidents. Uh, and in fact, there was just a, a court hearing on that this week. So that's the process that will, uh, see people who were directly affected, uh, Financially um, compensated in one form or another. I don't want to say you know make up for that, but mm. um, that's where financial compensation for people directly affected would come from. This was more about the uh, kind of regulatory and uh, corporate uh, failings of. Columbia Gas.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, did see one tweet right from Lawrence Mayor Dan Rivera, uh, who we saw a lot of back in 2018. Um, just simple hashtag justice um, was was his reaction to this news. Now, uh, later on Wednesday, Colin, we learned uh, that Columbia's Massachusetts gas operations were being bought out by another company that operates within the state already.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, so as not as part of the plea agreement, but alongside the plea agreement with the federal government was uh, what's known as a Deferred Prosecution Agreement. And in that, the uh, federal prosecutors agreed not to bring charges against Columbia Gas's parent company, Nysource. uh, And instead, uh, or in exchange for that, uh, Nysource was ordered to sell off Columbia Gas and cease gas operations in Massachusetts. Uh, So U.S. Attorney Andrew Lelling mentioned during his press conference, to announce this plea that uh, uh, he expected Nysorce to put Columbia up for sale in the in the coming days, and that that process would proceed. I don't think we uh, I don't think anyone really was expecting it to be quite so quick. about yeah. six o'clock uh, in the evening on Wednesday, uh, Eversource said that it had reached an agreement. To with Columbia or with source I should say, to buy Columbia Gas of Massachusetts for $1.1 billion. Now, that still has to be approved by regulators at the State Department of Public Utilities, the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, so that's not a sure thing just yet. Um,
0: Are some it, of those approvals and sign offs more than you would normally see in this case? Do they have sort of extra steps to go through because of the gas explosions?
1: Uh yes, uh, particularly in that uh, Mass DPU currently has two investigations into Columbia Gas open, mm. uh, so now they would be involved in a sale of a utility, you know, regardless of the circumstances, but especially where they have open investigations uh, into the company that is uh, to be sold in this case, uh, that could complicate things for sure.
0: Is EverSource taking on? Any kind of risk by by acquiring Columbia? Would they be on the hook for future litigation around those those incidents?
1: Uh, no, as part of the agreement uh, to buy Columbia Gas, uh, or, or part of that agreement is that Nysource, uh retains the responsibility for uh, the Merrimack Valley incidents. Uh, but I'm sure there are risks for Eversource here. They would be uh, about doubling the number of customers that they serve in Mm -hmm. Massachusetts with gas. Um, So certainly it will be an expansion for them. They'll have more territory to service, to cover. Um, So I'm sure there are some risks uh, for them, but they also see it as a good investment.
0: Are there still issues with the Columbia system? I mean, as far as the safety of the pipeline structure, or have they they brought it along toward... Yeah, there's been quite repair. a lot of work done yeah.
1: uh, in the last you know year and a half or so, um, but because Columbia Gas will still be the gas provider until a sale is, is approved and is finalized, um, the U.S. Attorney's Office is mandating that Columbia Gas pay to have an independent monitor, monitor the company's uh, uh, gas work uh, during the, the sale process, and that's meant to give ask customers of Columbia a little bit of assurance that there's another set of eyes on the work that's being done.
0: Oh, fair enough. Um, Finally on this topic, I mean, I I had a little flashback to last week uh, when we saw this news starting to come out early Wednesday. Um, Just because, I mean, we think back to last week we were talking about... um, Andrew Lelling, the U.S. Attorney's investigations into cases where a state level authority might already have some oversight or might already be doing some investigations of their own. Um, We've got, you mentioned the DPU, uh, Department of Public Utilities, who already had their own investigations going on. Um, Did Lelling leapfrog them? Is this complementary to the investigations the state was doing? And um, You had mentioned DPUs continuing, right?
1: Yeah, I would say more complementary. In the the same way um so last week with Rep Nangle, we were talking about, you know, the federal prosecutors are the only ones who can bring the federal charges. Right. Uh, so this is a federal felony that that Columbia Gas agreed to plead guilty to. It's a violation of the Federal Pipeline Safety Act. Um, the U.S. attorney did say, you know, gas companies own the the gas lines underneath every city in many towns in Massachusetts and across the country. Mm. And it's really up to them. We rely on those companies to ensure that their systems are safe and, and reliable. Um, and he said generally he thinks the regulatory scheme for this is sufficient uh, because incidents like what happened in the Merrimack Valley, thankfully, are fairly rare. Um, he didn't want to uh, get into whether MassDPU should have known more about what he called uh, organizational failures at one of its licensees um, and whether DPU could or should have done something earlier or something else. Hmm. Um, but DPU's investigations are still open. So there's there is still the possibility that Columbia Gas could be hit with even more financial uh, penalties.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks, Colin. Thanks. Um, you've been following this for a while. Um, now, Katie, uh, we're we're wrapping up with some talk of coronavirus, as, as we mentioned, or COVID-19. <coughs> Matt, are you joking about a public health issue?
2: Uh, I'll note that he did, while well, the microphone covered Matt's mouth when he coughed, which I don't think counts as a...
3: <laughs> I did not cover my mouth.
0: Yeah, I'm not using that microphone next week. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> um, Katie, uh, w- one of the questions on the uh, conference call with uh, the Department of Public Health this week was... For starters, what, what to call it? I mean, everyone knows it as coronavirus, so we're we're still gonna call it that, right?
2: Well, we'll call it a coronavirus. Um, a cr- it's a it, the the illness that the, that there's currently a, a kind of global outbreak of is a form of a strain of coronavirus. I, I shouldn't say strain. I'm not a uh, virologist. I don't really know what I'm talking about when I get into the specifics. But it's a type of one kind of coronavirus is causing a respiratory illness known as COVID-19. And it's that respiratory illness that we're kind of reacting to and planning for.
0: Gotcha. Um, That's a pretty good encapsulation, actually. Thanks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so planning for it. And uh, we heard from the DPH this week from Commissioner Burrell. Um, You were on a a call with with her. um, That's right. Because the state is planning. The state is getting ready for uh, what might come. What did Dr. Burrell say our current risk level is?
2: Well, she said, the governor said, state officials have been saying and continue to say that the risk of contracting the COVID-19 illness in Massachusetts remains low, they say, and are reminding people to get their flu shots because the risk of the flu is greater. Um, It's kind of a tricky situation as a you know, non-medical professional t- as you're trying to not get sick um, <laughs> to the best of your ability in New England in the winter, um, because the flu and this, this COVID-19 coronavirus have similar symptoms. Um, Dr. Burrell says that if you, you know, if you feel sick in Massachusetts, if it's one of those, you're, you're more likely to have the flu, much, much more likely. Yeah. But, you know, if you have the relevant travel history to, to contact your doctor, your local board of health and go forward from there.
0: Yeah. Um, what's what's the state doing to, uh, to kind of plan for the potential ramifications?
2: Yeah. So I think at this point, we don't have a whole ton of specifics, right? There's a lot of kind of planning and interagency communication and a lot of things that maybe aren't um, visible or apparent to the average person in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. The DPH is working with Um, Local boards of health, they're working with federal groups like the CDC, they're talking to schools, they're talking to hospitals to make sure, you know, all hospitals have a a surge plan, um, so called in place for, you know, if all of a sudden they need many, many beds for an influx of of coronavirus patients, Um, they're working to make sure that the supplies of masks and gloves are there for the medical professionals who need them. And they've been um, monitoring, actually, we found out this week, we didn't know this previously, I don't think this number had been publicly disclosed, that they have been monitoring hundreds of people Mm -hmm. um, for potential symptoms, returned travelers from China, about 608 people uh, as of the other day, as of Wednesday, had been or were in the self-quarantine process, which is pretty much you stay at home. (laughs) um, You're not, you know, locked up in a state facility somewhere (laughs) waiting to... Get the all clear, but nothing they've,
0: too drastic. Yeah,
2: but they've had um, a couple hundred people are in self quarantine now, and a few hundred others have have made it through um, without symptoms. Have made through the the quarantine period.
0: You mentioned the CDC and uh, Dr. John Santiago, who's a, I think he's still a freshman, right? Freshman freshman member, rep, yeah. Yeah, of of the House. Um, he was on Greater Boston with Jim Browdy this week, and one of the things he mentioned, since uh, he Still works at a hospital on a regular basis.
2: Yeah, he's a uh, ER doc.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, and they've been; uh, these hospitals have been dealing with testing. And and one of the things he mentioned is when you test for coronavirus, you've got to send it to um, to the CDC, which. Creates perhaps I mean, I I don't know the details, but creates I would imagine some sort of a time delay as opposed to uh, just testing within a state facility. Um, so uh, mentioned at the top of the podcast, we've seen some uh, some money added into the uh, most recent sub budget to maybe start some state level testing.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Dr. Burrell also said on the uh, in her briefing this week that the the labs are you know the state lab is getting direction from the DPH on how to prepare if we do get a specimen uh, from a patient there. So there, there is kind of that, I guess, level of activity going on as well. And, you know, I think we might hear a lot more about what the state is doing this coming week. Um, the Public Health Committee has an oversight hearing. So a lot of times uh, lawmakers uh, are able to get more information out of a, a state agency than your your average journalist might.
0: Hey, good point. Good point. Uh, and of course, this is not to ignore all the economic impacts. Right, uh, taking a toll on the stock market around the world, uh, impacts uh, on local businesses, small businesses. We. Uh, we saw a, uh, a story in the Metro West Daily News, actually, that, that highlighted a pizza shop down in that part of Massachusetts that is really concerned because they can't get rubber gloves as easily because they're shipped from China. And I was actually talking to a, a house aide here in the building who has a huge vinyl collection of like five or 6,000 LPs, and he can't get the little plastic sleeves to put the records in as easily because they're shipping from Asia. maybe he needs replacement sleeves i don't know actually yeah yeah he used to be in the records business so i i I don't know
2: yeah and the the fda is also monitoring you know pharmaceuticals um non-covid-19 related drugs that are manufactured or have some work done in um facilities in china and medical devices to make sure um you know essential equipment can still be prepared and and procured by those who need it.
0: Sure. I mean, so as we, as we deal with, to be fair, a certain level of fear out there um, about uh, a, a new illness coming perhaps to our area, um, has there been any, uh, any talk about this affecting the number of folks who go out to crowded places like polling locations on, on Tuesday?
2: Well, um, I I don't know if we're quite there yet. We do only have the the one confirmed case in Massachusetts, um, and he's uh, continuing to recover. Um, Colin reported that this week. Mm. Um, But, you know, the the State Department of Public Health is telling people to, to live their normal lives and go about their normal activities. And in Massachusetts, I guess that includes voting on Super Tuesday as a normal activity.
0: It sure does. It sure does.
2: Unless you early voted.
0: Oh, true. Like the Senate president, right? That's
3: right. No, she absentee, absentee voted. Absentee
0: vote. Pre- Is she not going to be around voting. on uh, election day? I,
3: I think you can make the case that she has uh, work obligations or could have work obligations in Boston that would take her mm. out of Ashland during before regular. the polls open uh during regular business hours. Mm. But, uh yeah, she did tell us on Monday that she uh voted early. Uh, which was before the start of early voting, and uh, so she voted absentee while she was at town hall getting new dog licenses.
2: Oh, Um, she has
0: really nice dogs.
2: Speaking of early voting, um, and not to take the bait on dogs, but (laughs) to continue with the voting theme, um, a different type of early voting, I'm going to put you all on the spot. Does anyone know what community in Massachusetts traditionally opens its doors ahead of the 7 a.m. polling hours start?
1: I've,
3: Gosnold. I've uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that came to mind too, but I'm gonna guess uh, New Bedford.
2: Um, Thinking of the
1: fishing community.
2: Ooh, I like that idea. No, oh. I I was told this morning by the Secretary of State's office that Franklin opens their polls at 6 a.m. Franklin, and that municipalities actually have the option to open as early as 5:45. Though most stick with the 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. hours.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Franklin, huh? Wonder if uh, Rep Roy is going to go vote at 7 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, folks, uh, here are a few other things to uh, keep on your radar as we uh, close out this week, head into next week. We've got a uh, sports betting bill that's uh, just emerged this afternoon. And uh, I don't know, is there a chief takeaway, Colin, that we can run into the weekend with?
1: Uh, still a long way to go. This is uh, just coming out of the um, Economic Development Committee. Um, with support of house members but not senate members mm. so this is uh, starting the process in the house uh and we'll still have to go through house ways and means a house floor debate and then send it over to the Senate, and we'll see what, if anything, the Senate wants to do with it.
0: Hmm, Interesting. We've got Super Tuesday, of course, coming up next week with uh, some special elections to watch at the state level uh, in some local legislative districts. We've got some primaries and one general. Uh, We've got a lot of events happening, of course, around the presidential primaries, uh, particularly with, um, well, we've got a Bernie Sanders rally uh, tomorrow uh, here in Boston. And in closing, I'll just mention that we now have a golden sacred cod that now resides in the press gallery of the Quebec National Assembly uh, since it was delivered there uh, earlier this week. And I
3: understand the gift that you so generously brought with you. Uh, across the border to the north, is now going to be part of some sort
0: of exhibition? Well, they're about to have their 150th anniversary of the uh, Quebec National Assembly Press Gallery, and our gold sacred cod, purchased at the state secretary's bookstore on the first floor here, uh, will be featured as a gift from a foreign press association in that exhibit. Anyway. (laughs) Well,
3: it's only appropriate since we're stealing their hydropower. It, It took
0: some explaining to tell them... Just what a sacred cod was.
1: What did they give us?
0: Not a gurgling cod, I'll tell you that.
2: How do you say sacred cod in French? Uh,
1: Sacre
3: cod.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Have a good weekend, folks.
1: Go wash your dang hands. (laughs) Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening.
2: See you next week.